Welcome to More Than Running with Dana, hosted on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dana Giordano, and every week I speak with women in and around the running world about who they are, off the track, fields, the roads, and sometimes even other sports. Personally, I've run professionally, worked in the running industry at a shoe company, and now I'm on the media side of the sport, with of course some races thrown in there too. I created this podcast to bridge the gap between the elite side of the sport and the everyday, breaking down barriers and sharing authentic stories about the women who are my peers, mentors, and inspiration. It's just like a conversation on a long run with a teammate. This podcast is a product of my love for the sport and all of its people. Running connects us, but we are all more than running. Welcome to the show. This week, we're doing something a little bit different on More Than Running. I love track and field, and that's mostly what this podcast is about. But another aspect of why I started it was because I felt like there wasn't a place for women to converse about sports, especially running. So I've seen her active online. I've been a fan for an extremely long time. So Molly Huddle comes to More Than Running to preview the Women's World Championships with an extreme bias to distance and the U.S. Molly herself has competed at the World Championships in 2011 in Daegu, 2013 in Moscow, 2015 in Beijing, 2017 in London, and 2019 in Doha. So we also weave in her experience of what competing at the World Championships is like, that insider preview scoop that I just love, and really learning from her experiences from her first World Championships at Daegu, which in her words wasn't the best, to what it takes to be competitive at the world level. For me, it's a little bit strange to not see Molly at the World Championships in the distances because she's been representing us for so long. But to get someone on who's had such a wealth of knowledge, it's a really fun conversation. Molly herself has not been competing this year too much because she welcomed the birth of her daughter, Josephine, in April, as well has been promoting her book, How She Did It, which speaks to stories about women in distance running, familial stories, and some of those same plot lines of the book, How She Did It, will be playing themselves out at the World Championships. Molly's an advocate for women in sports, and I knew this would be a fun conversation, and we just kind of get into the world of distance running and geek out for an hour. So if you're looking for a normal more than running content where we dig into one person's story, this isn't exactly that, but it's a fun way to experience and get excited for the World Championships, and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back to More Than Running with Diana. This week, I have a very special guest, and it's a special episode because we are doing a Women's Distance World Championships preview, and I'm here with, I believe it's five-time World Championship qualifier, Molly Huddle. Welcome, Molly. Yeah, thanks, Dana. Excited to be here and excited that World Champs is on the horizon because I'm also a super fan of track and field. So, well, that's <laughs> what I figured based on, you know, your social media followings, what you tweet, what you've retweeted. And I was like, you know what? I have an inkling that Molly's really excited about this one. I am. I'm my track nerd is in full force. So, <laughs> so are you have you been enjoying like the Peacock setup of all the Diamond League meets? Because I think it's really been a game changer of being able to like access track on NBC, at least because by having that one platform, I get to least know when the Diamond League meets are happening. So I feel like I've watched a lot more track this year than previous years. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't always I'm not always able to watch them live anymore, but I watch them like within 24 hours of the meet happening. So (laughs) definitely easier to follow. Um, You know, sometimes it's hard to be a track fan. You like are hunting around for how to watch these meets. So that's nice. 
Yeah, it's it's almost impossibly hard. So your situation right now is a little bit different as a spectator. You um, gave birth to your daughter, Josephine, back in April. So what's it kind of been like watching, you know, the U.S. championships um, from a different angle this year? How is it? Has it felt like strange for you at all? Or what are the kind of those thoughts and feelings you've been having as like watching, you know, this year go by a little bit? I think I was like fully a fan this last year um, just because I wasn't even training. I wasn't even like in a competitive mindset. So it wasn't it really wasn't really that weird. Like there was no way, shape or form I could have been there. <laughs> um, I'd say the Olympic trials were probably weirder to watch because I was like, ah, oh, like I should be on the other side of the screen. This is very strange. But this year it was just like, you know what, like totally different um mindset, totally different set of circumstances for so many months that, you know, I'm really just, I've been watching track all year with just my feet up. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this is a continuation of that kind of, although I am back out running a little bit. Um, but it's, you know, we've seen so many like new athletes blossom during this time and we've seen a lot of new, exciting, um, like potential opening up in some events. So it just, it all feels so different. Like it feels like I'm I don't know. It feels like I've been watching for years, even though it's been like two seasons. <laughs> I, I kind of feel the same way too, that COVID happened and between the collegiates getting an extra two years ish and everyone having just, you know, uninterrupted training time that the bar wasn't just raised. It was like completely obliterated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like to have, I think this year, you know, there was 10 women got the world A standard in one race. You know, like when's has that ever happened in the U.S. where so many people I feel like people were chasing all the time to even get standards. And the fact that we're going in where if you don't have the standard, you're not even a factor in the race. Like that's what I've noticed is like the biggest difference. It's like you have to already be a standard level to even have a chance. Definitely. Like I, I'm sure it's part technology with the shoes, part COVID that like increased the depth so much. Um but it, it does feel like that. It feels like we just have so much more, so many more athletes in the game. It's just a lot more competitive. I don't know if that's going to slow down because we did have that COVID year of like more people like became a professional runner basically because they had nothing else going on. Um, it, or <laughs> There's some other things. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone stopped working and stopped school because they had to. And so it's like, let's just train all day. But, you know, maybe it's just where the sport is now, which is great. Um, this is kind of what, we were hoping for, at least in America, to have more depth and be like really, you know, to make our team, you have to be a medal potential in like all the events. So we're working towards yeah. that. I think the women's 800 is kind of like the biggest one for me where I was watching the final at USA's and I was like, man, I do not envy anyone in that top eight where, you know, the entire field goes under two minutes for the Americans. You have, you know, I think Mo, who's an Olympic gold medalist, you have Raven Rogers, who I believe she's with bronze medalist, and she knows how to medal and hunt everyone down. Ajay, who I don't think has ever missed a team. And it's like, there's those women are also young anyways. So that was the one for me that like stood out the most of an intimidating packed field for the Americans, at least. And that was the one that I was like, man, I do not envy any of you. Yeah, like after the eight, the 800 has probably been my favorite event to watch this year, the last like two years. And I was like, well, there's a potential that those three women are going to be like one, two, three in the world. Like, I mean, there are some other women that could break them up, but I was like, that's one of those events where, I mean, if you make the final at the US championships, you're 
doing really well. <laughs> yeah, I think I have it pulled up right here. So a thing Mo is ranked first in the world with her 157, then Ajay Wilson with her 157, and then Mar- Mary Mora from Kenya, also 157, and Keely Hodgkinson. And then we have Ray- Raven Rogers. And for some reason, Allie Wilson is on this start list, mm-hmm. but I think that's just an error. Um Unless somehow we got to sneak a fourth American in, which would be nice, but I don't think I don't yeah, think we get that spot. Sometimes they say sometimes put the alternates on the list, but I don't think oh. I'm trying to remember back. We didn't. Do we have a Diamond League winner, or do we have? Did Ajay win the Diamond League? Maybe is that? I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think she won last year. I think either think, believe Keeley did last year. But I and we don't. That. We don't have a defending champion, right? So maybe it is the alternates that might just be sometimes. Yeah, USATF will sometimes put the alternates on there. Yeah, that I mean, this one is. I think the heats in eight hundred too. Like it's an event that I've never personally run. I don't know how many eight hundreds you've run in your career. (laughs) Uh, I think I have like one time on my resume for eight (laughs) hundred. Yeah, I think my relay times are faster because I did more relay four bytes and open eight hundreds. I my redemption story and my prediction. I think. Ajay Wilson could be like the surprise champion. And that's not, I mean, I think Mo's incredible, but I've just like seen something different in Ajay this year of like a confidence that I feel like she didn't have, you know, leading into the Olympic trials where I kind of feel like she could steal the show. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I I, I also think Athen could set the world record. So, you know, both different worlds <laughs> could too. go either way. But um, Ajay has been racing like a little different too. Like some of the races you'll notice she'll kind of go out in the back and work her way up. Some of the races she'll be like typical Ajay where she's like taking charge. So I'm like, ooh, when someone's working on something new, like they're getting out of their comfort zone, that could pay off really big. And then I feel like Raven always comes around last minute that you like kind of forget about her and you're like, oh, but she picks up the pieces and has that kick that's undeniable uh, that, yeah. The thing for me that stands out the most is that I feel like we haven't seen like the fastest times and the women's mm-hmm. eight always shows up with like the fastest times in the world in the world championship final. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to see some sub one fifty sevens. All right. We're going to take a brief pause before the next event and go to the time that you first qualified for the world championship team. So going way back when was Daegu in 2011, that was your first time qualifying for world mm-hmm. champs. Cause this is we're intertwining within this brief episode preview the decade of Molly Huddle being at the World <laughs> Championships. Because I know it's way for, back. For me, it's strange <laughs> that you're not here, quite honestly, mm-hmm. because I feel like you were such a staple, you know, within our US team. So what was it like qualifying for your first world championship team? Yes. So 2011, um, I had set the American record in the 5K the year before, but I had actually um gotten a planter injury between uh USA's and Worlds. So I was running the 5K in Daegu, and I didn't make it out of the heats, I remember, because I hadn't been training in the three weeks beforehand. So very stressful situation. Um, but I learned so, so much. And that I always think of like those countries that don't fill all their events for a world championship. And I'm always like, you really should, if you can afford it, like send as many athletes as you can, because the amount you learn, even in like the ones that don't go well, really set you up for when you're ready to show up. You're not like, oh, I'm freaked out about this call room. I'm freaked out about like the way they run things here. Like I got all that out of the way. I ran bad, (laughs) but then I came back and I knew like I was more comfortable in that setting because it is an intimidating setting at the world champs. You know, you're at this warm up track, you're trying to do your warm up when not get run over by like Usain Bolt. Like, it's just like, you're, you know, there's a lot going on. So it was 
it was good to just kind of get all that nervousness out, just see how things go, observe people who are really good at what they do and like take that with you for next time. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a great experience on the track. Off the track, it was cool. I roomed with Emma Coburn um, and oh, Alicia wow, nice. was in our suite. Yeah, Montano. And um, they had a really cool, vi- they did like a whole village there. Uh, it was like an Olympic village and like they had all kinds of fun stuff to do. And they um, really were cheering for Team USA. South Korea loves uh, USA. So oh, when we so would go out, yeah, we would go out for our runs and they'd be like, go USA <laughs> and waving at us because we had our gear on. So um, that was fun. I'm interested to see how they transform Eugene for all that, because that sounds like a completely different. I don't know how they would build that same type of athlete village at I, they Eugene. they probably won't. Like, I think that was atypical. Like, usually we just stay in a hotel. Um, okay, but so South Korea did, went, like, above and beyond. Like, there were, like, fireworks, like, a couple of the nights and stuff. Like, they oh really rolled God. out the red carpet. Um, but I think Eugene will probably be more similar to, like, what they do for the Olympic trials. Or That yeah. makes sense. So when you say, like, the call room situation, because I've only run a couple of meets where there's, like, a very intense call room. And I almost describe it as, like, a little cattle pen where you do your warm up, but you basically are like for 20 minutes stuck. Mm-hmm. Is that very similar to, you know, most of your, your world championship experiences that you've kind of had like an extremely small space yeah. next to your competitors and you don't get to even, you do like one stride to the starting line. Yeah. Like I think that's yes. the weirdest part. It's so weird. It's so weird. And like, for me, I was always like, well, thank God I run the 10 K and the 5 K where like, you don't have to get off the line very hard. Like if I were an 800 runner or like, I don't even know what sprint warmups are like, but if I were a faster event, I'd be really nervous. Cause I would just, there really is no, you're sitting in like a folding chair for like 20 minutes in there. And, um, the air conditioning is always really high. So you're like, cool. My muscles are getting really cold and stiff. Like this is going to feel great. Um, and the officials are always like, just looking at like what you're, they're just like looking for logos that are wrong. And so they're always like, you're like fighting with them to like wear this watch you're supposed to wear. So it's like all these little things that you're just like, this is not optimal. And it's, you know, you really have to be able to like, once you've been through it once, you're like, oh, right, this is how it goes. I'm going to be sitting here. So do this. So time Mm -hmm. my warm up earlier. So do like, be prepared to like, you know, say, no, I need to wear this for my sponsor or like, you know, make sure you have this, this, and this timed out for nutrition and, um, just kind of get the timeline down because it is oddly long. Like you're in there a long time and and you're just staring at just, your competition, just getting so nervous. Yeah, I'm just like, what are they doing over there? Like, what's Debaba doing for her warm up? <laughs> like you're just like looking around. You're like, ah, don't freak There's out. There's almost too much feedback. I feel like in that setting, you're like, what is everyone doing? And then you're like, is this even my warm up? And you get distracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you learned not to do that. <laughs> you learned yeah. to just put the I don't, blinders. I never made it past that part. I just got, <laughs> I was like just ogling. I, I mean, yeah. I did like one, one like non-Diamond League race in a Diamond League meet. They just like graciously were like, ah, oh, whatever. We could, could fill a spot. And I was so distracted. I'm like, there's too many things going on. But mm-hmm. when you were, um, you know, when you learned from that first experience in Daegu and you were kind of, you know, wearing the USA kit for you made the cross did you make a cross country team first like was you already had that experience of like the team processing representing USA so that wasn't a new experience for your first world champs outdoor I did but I think outdoor is a little different because it's right there at the race um and it's just it was such a like it would be weird to not do it at this point if I went to USA's because you're like okay and like after my race 
late at night, you're like hungry, but you got to go through team processing and drug testing. And it's just like the way things go. Um, yeah, it's definitely a bigger deal for the track team, like a bigger production. Cause you have, what is it? A couple hundred people going through there. I'm very interested to also see how the U S athletes change their experience at Eugene kind of having full access of Hayward field and competing. There's so many times competing at pre competing at pre last year, competing at USA's and having so much access to the facilities, University of Oregon to now inviting the world onto their tiny town and probably being shoved into much smaller places. So I'm, I'm interested to see how like the, the Americans can react to flipping the mentality of this isn't just Hayward feel like this is the world champs. Cause I feel like sometimes when it's your home mm-hmm. track, it's hard to get that excitement level up in a way. Mm-hmm. But that might be totally incorrect. But that's kind of just like my hunch of, all right, if you're traveling to Daegu, South Korea, you have a mission and you're there and you're very focused. But if you're like going back to Eugene for the third time in one year, yeah, how do you like flip those gears? Yeah, no, I think that too. I mean, I do think the comfort level of just like being in your own country with your own food and water and um, like the familiarity for some athletes, I think it's going to help. It's just going to be one less stressor. They don't have to adapt to all that, but it could be kind of like, I I don't know. Like I remember our home college meets. I was always a little less, like, I was like, oh weird. I'm in my own bed. Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's it's not as, yeah. Like it doesn't feel like I'm the, the correct arousal level for this (laughs) challenge, but, um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I'm sure it depends what kind of athlete you are. Like, do you like things familiar and calm or do you like to get amped by like, you know, really being reminded you're at the world championships, but I, with that stadium, I mean, you will know you were at a global meet. Yeah. I mean, so from being at the Olympic trials to now they finished the big TV screen. So they had a very tiny TV screen at the trials and now they have a mega one. So even having that screen on there, you're like, Oh, this doesn't feel like a college stadium Mm -hmm. anymore. Like this really feels like a world championship stadium. Yeah. I think that'll help. And I hope the crowd, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the crowds end up. I heard they sold all the tickets, but like, I don't know. It's pretty expensive to get to Eugene nowadays. <laughs> and well, the, fl- the planes jacking themselves up like four, four yeah. eggs has like, I feel like it's totally killed it. I know everyone's driving across country. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I, I'm not that big of a track fan. I don't think <laughs> that I would drive to Eugene from the East coast. I don't think so. I feel like, you know, those are people who don't have kids and have, <laughs> have, want the experience. Yeah. They want the cross country experience. All right. Women's 1500 is the next event on deck before we continue down the Molly Huddle World Championship <laughs> Tour. Um, this year, Safan Hassan has not really shown up in the same way. Safan Hassan is the defending champion who ran 351 in 2019 in Doha. Lest us not forget. And then second was Faith Kipiagan, and third in 2019 was um, Sagay from Ethiopia. So, you know, we have some... We have, you know, all the players back in the game. We're missing Shelby Houlihan, who placed the highest for the Americans. Um, and we have a pretty, you know, young-ish team. I feel like, you know, Sinclair hasn't represented the U.S. on a global level. Ellie figured out, you know, she medaled in the 3K in the Indoor World Championships, um, but had, a, you know, to her level, a disappointing Olympics. And then Corey's been around the scene for a very long time, but needs to make like a rather big jump to, you know, be consistently sub four minutes. I don't think Corey actually has broken four yet in the 1500 
and, you know, make it through the rounds and get to the final. So this one for me, I don't know how the Americans will fare. And I feel like there could be three in the final or we could have none in the final. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the final of the 1500 is like never a guarantee. Um, And everyone there is like sort of a metal potential. Um, So that'll be that'll be interesting. I'm really excited to see how they all do. Um, yeah, it's crazy thinking back to 2019. And did Sifan triple enter that year in every, like, 15, 5, 10? I believe she doubled, t- and she it dub- was the 15, The Olympics. 10K? When she, when she, yeah. And then she tripled at the Olympics. That's right. Um, so that, we'll see what she does. I guess she hasn't really raced that much this year. Um, so far, Faith Kipiegan looks like the woman to beat. <laughs> Can you believe that she's only, I believe she's 28, Faith Kipiegan. Wow. She's been so good for so long. <laughs> I know. That's what I looked at her age recently because, you know, she has a kid I've, and she's just been incredible for a really long time. But I feel like I was, um, David Melly was on Sidious Mag's Track Snacks and he was hyping up Faith Kipiegan. He was like, I don't understand why more people aren't obsessed with her. And she hasn't created a larger cult following. Be- mm-hmm. And and Chris argued it's because she hasn't really been, she's been around for a really long time, but she only does one event. And mm-hmm. so because she doesn't do multiple events, less people know her. But I'm like, but she's incredible at one event. So does that not count for anything? Yeah, no, I think a lot of the great African women are like under marketed. So that's what I think. That's why people don't know as much about her. Sege as well is someone who I always really enjoy racing. And we also have within the entries, they also have four entered as, I mean, it'll be the three, but I feel like some team tactics could also come into play. I'm not sure if that happens so much in the 1500, but definitely the 5k, 10k. Yeah. Yeah. You do see that in the 5k. I feel like there's a lot of talking in the 5k and 10k. I don't know in 15, if it's like that, I'd like to, we need to talk to like Jenny Simpson or someone and ask what it's like on the inside of the five, the 1500 rounds. I feel like Jenny Simpson's just trying her best to like, she stays on her feet so well and is so calm and cool and collected. She wouldn't be caught dead talking to anyone. <laughs> All right. So your next world championships that you qualified for was Moscow and you did the 5k again. So within those two year, within that two year period, um, you know, we had the 2012 London Olympics in the middle. So another world championships experience. And then you came to Moscow. So, you know, another place very far from home. And you ended up, I believe, a sixth in the 5K that year. So uh, that's a huge jump from your first world championship experience. So what changed in those two years? Yeah. So I w- my goal in London was to make the final um And then I had some allergy issues that year. So I I wanted to just get to the next year without anything happening. Like I wanted to be healthy. I didn't want to be sick. I didn't want to have any interruptions. Um, I did end up getting a stress fracture that winter, but, you know, it was early enough that it didn't compromise the summer too bad. And so, yeah, I just kind of got more consistency in at that level and um, still made them 5K. I always ran too hard in the heats because I was nervous about my kick and would just, you know, clear it by way too much and then be sore when I came back. So never really learned how to get through the rounds without being just like nervous. And, um, you know, I, I overdid it. I felt like in the rounds of the 5k and I did that in Moscow too. I remember being like a little bit, um, 
like the the heat after us ran like 1530 or something made it in and then I ran like 15 flat to get in in my heat so I was like okay well heat one always is one day. so hot though it's like one if you're day in, if yeah you're in heat two you know because you know the time but if you're in heat one you kind of have to yeah but in the same vein if I'm in heat two and I watch heat one go 15 flat I will never feel comfortable enough to be like I'll just kick it in with the, like the last qualifier no. to the, like I never would do that so I need to you know you're, you're a big cute kind of gal that's why I just went to the 10k because I was like I can't handle this I'm not I could never ever in a million years run the 1500 I was thinking that after the U.S. trials I was like wow these ladies are made of steel like I used mentally. to think that I could run the 1500 and I was running like you know some 405 407 I think was my time and then I was like man I wouldn't even that's nothing that's they closed in I believe Sinclair Johnson's was she was like too flat to close. And just like the margins are so small. Like I just get, I have no chill when it comes to like, oh, well you might just like only like zip through by this much. I'm like, no, I can't handle that kind of pressure. <laughs> so. And a lot uh, of, you know, bodying as well. I feel mm-hmm. like you need to be a little more physical in those races. Yeah. You have to have good tactics. You have to know where to put yourself. So I always like marvel at that. Um, and then the 5k rounds at the world championships, like it benefits you to have been a 1500 runner at some point in your life, which I never was. So, um, I will say in Moscow, I kind of felt all that stuff in the final. I was like, you know, I didn't run efficiently, but, um, it was my best finish. Yeah. And I think I remember fifth place, I think was, um, uh, only a few seconds ahead of us. She was really, actually it was, um, a woman I race all the time on the, on the roads. Now it was, um, Buzanesh Deba, I think, um, who I see a lot in the U S I'd have oh, to go nice. back. I'd have to go back and look it up. But yeah, that was that was probably as good as it got for me in the 5K. <laughs> yeah. So then then in 2015, you decided to it was 10K time. Yes. Yes. I was like not doing the rounds anymore. I think I need to just go in fresh. Was that a tough decision for you? You know, obviously you kind of were dominating the 5K in the US at the time, but with world championships it seems like metal. You wanted the metal. That's that why you moved up? Uh, yeah. I mean, just to see what was possible, you know, I had watched like Kim Smith in my training group run the 10 K and she seemed to finish higher the longer she went in events. And my coach Ray was like, I think you might be the same. Um, you know, the 10 Ks I had run, I wasn't hundred percent prepared for. So that's, he was like, in the 10 K you actually would be fast compared to some of those girls. Whereas in the five, you're kind of, you know, on the strength end of things. So we jumped right in and, um, I ran a couple of solid 10 K times that kind of made me feel a little more confident going in. Cause it is, it is kind of like a long way to go. And you're just like, I don't know if I can handle six miles with those women. Like, um, so yeah, I definitely was feeling good going into it. Did you do like a paint Jordan that year kind of, or some bigger 10 Ks, um, internationally to prepare for that? I think, well, at the time, like Peyton Jordan was it, it was like the best 10 K you were going to find. And I think I did run it and I, I don't remember what I ran that year, actually. I might have been, um, I couldn't remember if it was 2014 or 2015 where I ran my PR at the time. It was like just under 31 minutes. It's like 30.50 or something. So I was I was good. I was feeling good. Um, we got to Beijing and it was like the distance team was just kind of off. Like I think I was the mm. only one who felt good there. Like the 10K women, Micheline and Emily. And, you know, for 99.9% of that race, that went great. And then the last, my coach afterwards, I remember he was like, I mean, like, aside from all the other, like, devastating talks we had, he was just like, you know, like, 
it was actually one of the best races you ran for the first like five miles. And I was like, okay, awesome. Yeah. The last mile was not. Um, but I think that was our only, Emily was our only distance medal or one of two like distance medals. So we, the like team USA was not feeling it in Beijing that year. Well, I mean, unfortunate circumstances, but great transition to <laughs> speaking about Emily Infeld this year, because yeah. really kind of, you know, I would say like Emily Infeld getting third that year, you getting fourth. It's like Emily Infeld coming out party for herself and then having a very, you know, kind of a, I don't want to say a break because she's always been there. She made the 2016 team as well, but kind of a tough couple last hard years. And then seeing her, um, Emily Feld, you know, get that fourth place, that dreaded fourth place position in making the 10K team and coming back with redemption and closing in her fastest mile ever, a 425, 1600 to make the 5K team. Um, how did that, how did that make you feel watching that race? And, you know, as someone you competed against seeing, you know, her progression over the years, obviously you guys don't train together and you're in different sides of the country, but you know, you're a fan of the sport and I feel like you're extremely supportive of other women as well. So I just, yeah, really wanted to pick your brain of what that was like watching for you. Yeah. I was very inspired by that. I'm inspired by a lot of Emily's performances because she's, she's so clutch. Like it's like she could have had a not ideal buildup, but at the biggest meets of the year, she pulls it out. Um, and so I know she had probably expected to make the 10 K team and not the 5k team as far like when you're looking at everybody on paper but um the pressure was just even higher at that point and so she just got even better <laughs> so yeah I was definitely rooting for her oh my gosh that third spot I was just like yelling at the tv I was like I don't even know like if I can watch this like it's so like back and forth um but yeah she she pulled it out it was crazy because it was it was very it was a hot day. They moved up the race till about 10 a.m. Which they always do, I have to say. I don't know why they schedule it that way. <laughs> I think they do it just to piss us off and get it out of the TV window and then make everyone upset because... Yeah, like, just give us the good weather window. I don't even care at this point. <laughs> I tweeted. I tweeted. I was like, all right, it's four days out. It's going to be 91 degrees at 2 p.m. When are they going to move it? It's, it's never like... not been hot. Yeah, I know. But it, it was... It was almost ridiculously slow. It was like 10K slow those first couple laps. Mm -hmm. I would have been so uncomfortable in that style of race, especially knowing, you know, the Bowerman girls. It's like, you know, they're tried and proven and have run extremely fast in the season. Mm -hmm. Have you been in any sort of races that have gone out that pedestrian and you just with the extremely slow burn like that? Because I feel like that is a closing in, you know, close to what some races could be a mile in that's mm -hmm. in a 5k is pretty insane yeah and it, I mean it's gonna it's gonna change who that favors um in the field so like I think if it were me I would have been thinking about that the whole time and I would have been uncomfortable with that and would have just you know unsurprisingly probably just gone to the front but I wouldn't have done that at a diamond league if it was going that slow I wouldn't have done that at the world champs if it was going that slow we've had and we've had some slow first miles before and um you know, you only do that if you know you're going to be top three. <laughs> then you can kind of basically do what you want with the race. And if not, you kind of have to just play by the rules of who the dominant runners are. Um, so that's that's kind of how I would have looked at it. So you would have just been like, all right, one eighty second lap. Goodbye. I'm gone. I mean, you don't have to run like a 70, but like 75 or 74 would at least stretch it out a little bit. Like <laughs> that's, I was always like, it doesn't hurt me to run a 74, 
but it no, makes I agree. it a little and more, you're not gonna fall. Yeah, I'm like I have I can do that, but it just makes it less jockeyish and I don't know. Yeah. Wait, I'm gonna go pull. I'm pulling up right now the winners of the 5K in Doha because we had Helen O'Berry. She won in 2019. She won in 14:26, which was you know that's a very like I wouldn't say standard time, but that's a like a great women's time for a championship. Um, Margaret um, Kippenboy got second, and then Constance Klosterhofen. I completely forgot about this. Oh, yeah, got the she bronze. Was bronze. That's right. I forgot too. In fourteen twenty eight, so that is something that I, I I looked at the results for this one, and I was like, I completely forgot that Constance was at that level in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. and I feel like um, she's entered in the five k for Germany and a part of the Union Athletics Club, which I kind of feel like are the um, you know team on the rise. I feel like it's kind of you know who picked first in dodgeball though, and they all kind of just like came together as Union Athletics. But with Sinclair qualifying, they have Raven. Constance, Jess Hull, and Donovan Donovan Brazier. So um, I'm interested to see, like, I don't know if Constance trains with that group, how it works. Like, Mm -hmm. could she get back up to that level? I feel like um, she's run this season 14.37. Um, The fastest time in the world this year is um, Tay from Ethiopia, who's run 14.12. And then Gade, who I think is the favorite, has run 14.24. Um, and then we also have Dawit Sayum from Ethiopia. And then Caroline Grodval, who I, I think is a shark mm-hmm. out there. I watched her race um, with the Diamond League mm-hmm. meet in the rain this season. And I was like, holy crap, who is that? She's insane. And then I realized she broke like the 5K record on the road, but it wasn't ratified and it was that person. So yeah, um, she's been killing it. Yeah, she, I feel like she maybe could sneak a medal in there. if She's feeling good. I remember I raced Carolyn when she was younger and she was running really well. And now she's just hitting that like peak of like, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Um, She's running amazing times. Um, But yeah, I'd say... Gidei has the world record, right? Does she still have the world record? So I believe so. I mean, she hasn't done a ton of races super recently, but yeah, that was a spectacle <laughs> the day she did that. So she'll be hard to beat. Yeah, I, I think for this one, like this is what we were talking about with the team tactics, tactics with the Ethiopians where, you know, they're coming in with the top three fastest times in the world. So it'd be silly for them to not go out and yeah. just make it a barn burner and um, not let anyone else come into play. Yeah, although is Obiri on the list for the five k? Is she? That's or is she just doing the ten k? Because she is control F Obiri. Her kick is insane, and I feel like She's, I've counted her out before. And she, like, for someone who has a faster time, and she will make. She's it in the ten k. She's not. She's the just 5K. doing ten k. Okay, yeah, I'd say Gaday is probably the favorite there, um, and then Team USA. We have Carissa, we have um, Natasha, and then is Elise doubling? No. She- uh, for the 10K, uh, for- we have Carissa, Natasha, and then... Um, oh, yeah. Sorry for the 10K. Oh, uh, my gosh. It's, I'm blanking right now. Who is our 10K team? Who is second on the 10K? Well, Elise didn't do it because she, you know... That she had a very cool article that came out today with Runner's World where she noticed some red symptoms and decided to take a step back, which I feel like was a very yes, um, brave great. and interesting article to come out like right before Worlds, you know, kind of giving that inside scoop of 
she really noticed those symptoms at altitude. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. how much experience you have training at altitude mm-hmm. of if you ever felt that way of kind of tipping into that danger mm-hmm. zone. Because I feel like it's especially like, you know, you're doing so many miles, you get pretty lean, you're like extremely fit that it can really take like one workout to like dump you into the other side of that zone. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that is something that like altitude has its own rules for fueling and stuff. And it can be hard even if you're doing it right. Like I, when we go up to altitude, um, I always notice this like crash that I have on like week three. And I think it is part that it's like, you're just, everything's accumulating and you're at altitude, you're using carbohydrates like faster than you would. Your iron might be a little bit off, like you're a little dehydrated. And, um, sometimes I came out of it and sometimes I didn't. And I would come back down and like need like two weeks to recover at sea level. So that was smart of her to like not let it get there. Yeah. And I mean, and she came in, I believe one second off of the American record in the 10 K. So that mm-hmm. I think it's just really brave to have that. I mean, she, she literally could have run almost a minute slower and probably still made the team, which is insane knowing yeah. her, but knowing how off she felt, I think it's really brave to be able to say, yes. you know, I've experienced this before. I'm not doing it again. I believe and trust in myself that I can make yeah. the 5k team. Um, Alicia Monson is who, That's you know, it. our brains <laughs> do the capture, which I think is, maybe it's cause she's so young and we're, you know, I was thinking, um, like Schumacher, team Schumacher and not, I was forgetting about on so yes monson she's on fire um this she's really like a world i think she's you know competing at the world level mm-hmm. and i really appreciate how the on team races a lot and they do the diamond league races um versus you know the bowerman side we never see we actually don't really get to see them race that much not against you know meets that they're kind of in control of so i really appreciate the way that yeah. um on is doing a lot of international travel because um alicia also had a really phenomenal 5k as well. So she's just been on fire this season. And I think, um, pretty unproven, I would say at this point. Yes. Yeah. I think, so she broke, like she was what, 1438 ish, I think at that diamond league. And so like that is in territory of doing something really big at the world championships. I mean, I know people are running really fast with the shoes and so we don't know what times mean anymore, but like 1430s is in that range of like, you could medal. So, um, this will be exciting. The shoes are very interesting to me. So I was previously running for Adidas and then I'm on, I just race on attached now and I got to try like the dragonfly for the first time, first time ever, you know, obviously having the Nike shoe being the leading shoe. And I always thought it was gonna be a very stiff shoe at, you know, that would, you know, have a carbon plate very similar to the road ones. And it's a lot softer than you expect. Um, so I, I do think some people's form contributes a lot more to being a super responder than others, depending on how much you lean forward versus you don't. So I think uh, I haven't tried the on carbon plate shoe if they have one yet, but Alicia is doing great without with or without it. Yes. Yeah. This The 5K is going to be exciting. 10K is going to be exciting. Those are my two events that I'm always like, I don't know. I can just, I have better reference points for those. I have my favorite events and then those I'm always like, okay, like this is personal to me to watch. <laughs> well, before we skip to the marathon, we're going to go beyond distance for a moment. And what are your three events you're most excited for that are not the distance events? Okay. So I think 400 hurdles, even though I like kind of know who's going to win, it's just a matter of like, what is Sydney McLaughlin going to do? Like, what better could she do? But, like, you know she will do better. So I think that's going to be exciting to watch. 
Um, I also am excited for the 4x4 with Allison. It's like her last lap of the track. I think that's going to be a special moment, and I think she'll pull it out. But you know. will it be her last lap? I don't know. Well, she says it will be, so I think it's going to like make sort of a – she'll treat it like that. You know, Who knows what she'll end up doing afterwards, but I think it's going to – pull out like a special performance um and and probably the other women too will be like you know very motivated by that so that could be a big that could be a big moment that could be a big um commercial moment for a home world championships um and let's see what else i'm trying to think which if i have to pick a field event that i like the best it's hard um you probably have too many friends from being on all these teams i mean sandy morris is looking pretty good that could be fun to watch her if she gets a gold medal in the pole vault i think if sandy katie go one two that would be really great same training group training together i think uh that that would be fun for me i want to see abby steiner win the women's yes i know this is gonna be exciting i was i had abby on my list too i was like what is she gonna do at worlds can she keep this rolling like this pr training she's been doing i need to do more of an in-depth you know me, I need to know every single thing about Abby Steiner because from how you get to playing soccer at Kentucky to being the best in the world at the 200. And I have to say, I absolutely love the Twitter discourse between the Jamaicans and everyone else. The Jamaicans <laughs> are so active. And I'm not sure if you saw the world championship, like World Athletics did, you know, Elaine Thompson hurrah. And they had, um, and Shelly and Paige Price. And I believe they had like Abby in the middle. And it made sense. It was like two Jamaicans, one American in the middle. And Jamaicans were like, wrong person is in the middle. <laughs> and it was just a picture. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is about to be so good. So I wonder if it's yeah. going to be like Penn realize, like, will the Jamaicans show up in Eugene? Mm. And I yeah. think they will. Will there be a Jamaican section? Will they bring the flags? Like, will it be loud? Will it be like uh, – Elaine has been, like, unbeatable. So they're going to have their heroes out there on the track. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm going to be very sad. I, I think that I do believe I have faith that the stadium's going to be full, but I want it to be loud. I want mm-hmm. it to be extremely loud. Do you have a memory of your kind of loudest world champs? I think I have a guess here. So. Oh, yes. Well, it wasn't. Well, yeah, it was London both times. That's Olympics, what I was going to say. London. Yeah. Olympics and world champs. Um, they love track and field in London. Like, I would almost want to have every world championship in London or like if you could, because they love, they show up to the track, they cheer, they love it. Um, I'm sure other countries were coming in too, but like it was, I, I don't know. It was unlike any, any crowd support I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like it was overwhelming. <laughs> I got to watch a diamond league where it was, I believe it was like Moe's, one of his last races on the track in London, or he had just come off a medal or something. I'm not even sure what happened. I believe this was back in 2017. And Andy Bouchard was running really well at the time. So him, like, it was like one, two, Mo Andy. And I had never seen a stadium so excited. Everyone off their seats, the entire stadium full. And then the chat, I have to say that my favorite part of the meet was like the chat of the people leaving on the tube talking <laughs> about track. And I was like, where in the U.S. could you just get people talking on public transportation about track? And it just left me all warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And like, I, I'm, I don't know, like as sad as I am to miss a world championship on U.S. soil, like I, I, I can't imagine it topping the noise, like the, the like roar that you hear in London. And it was like for, like there's like for any British athlete doing anything 
remotely good, they would like roar. Like it could be like someone in the heats of the 5K going from like 10th to 8th. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> like you go. You're like, can I change my jersey? <laughs> could I get on that team for this yeah. meet? So that was definitely like. It's like when you do road races and someone has your same name or even like the same like vowels at the end of your name. So you just assume they're cheering for you. I don't know if you think that, but sometimes <laughs> I do road races. I'm like, I'm just going to accept that these cheers are for me. The energy does something to your body. It really does when people are cheering for you. (laughs) I'm also really excited to see how the University of Florida women show up. You know, you have Anna Hall, who's in the heptathlon, Jasmine Moore um, in the triple, and then Talitha Diggs as well. And I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of others, but I feel like that was like a really exciting storyline for me at USA's was the University of Florida kind of Mm -hmm. having this wave. And I don't know when that collegiate burnout stops because it, how it, it has been a, decent amount of time since Etsy Blaze, but it hasn't been extremely long. I feel like this is a close turnaround mm-hmm. between USA's and Worlds. Is it usually longer? Is this kind of typical, like the one month time period? Because I know the U.S. likes to time it closer than other countries do. We, like we would do our selection a little bit closer to world champs. Mm-hmm. Um, so is the turnaround close? And how do you think the collegiates will be able to keep their seasons held together? I think it is a little close. I'd have to look at the the schedules, but I think it's usually Worlds are like mid-August, aren't they? They're that first week, second week. Or if you're Doha, they're in October. Well, that was super weird. Yeah. Um, so the, the collegians, it'd be tough. You know, we were talking about that. They probably feel like they live in Eugene at this point. Um, or anyone, even I feel like I live in Eugene. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long, like, so they were out there for a couple of weeks, um, for NCAAs. That was regionals out there as well for that area. I believe it was somewhere else. Oh, there was, I feel like there was a third. Maybe if you did Prefontaine, NCAAs, Pac-12s, Pac-12s. there was like a, a scenario where you could have spent like already a lot of time in Eugene and then you're going to go back for another like two, three weeks. So um, yeah, a lot of Eugene time, a close turnaround. Let's hope that, you know, those college kids are so sharp. Let's hope they can hold that another couple of weeks. I think that favors them. I think the later they had to go into the summer, the harder that would have been for them. Um, but, you know, I think they're really going to, they're going to be excited by that home crowd. I think it's going to be so much more, um, support than there was for NCAAs. NCAAs was a little bit quiet when I was, (laughs) I was noticing when I was watching. So yeah, I think the flights has really changed things. I think it was a lot easier for, you know, people to justify it when getting across the country was $400 and not $1,200. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like it was kind of just parents. And now that, um, and even for USA, the, the big debate was, all right, if you live in Eugene, because that's what a lot of the fans are, do you stay or do you rent out your place because you could, you know, make some pretty good money during the time period. But I think the true track fans will want to see worlds and that's what mm-hmm. you, that you yes. stick around for. And so, I hope. So many, yeah. And so many great storylines that you just mentioned too, like Talitha being Joetta Clark's daughter and, um, Anna Hall. I don't know if you follow her on social media, but she kind of put she up that is. recap for about how she was injured. And then now she's like going to the world championships, like that year long recap. Um, so that was really cool to watch. I think another redemption story for me too is Aaliyah Hobbs. Um, you know, I think that Aaliyah Hobbs is someone who, I think she could medal. Like this has been, she's been on fire this year. And I really think that, you know, we've had Shakiri run extremely fast times. Um, you know, they both went to LSU, but I think this could really be Aaliyah's year to sneak into the medals. I think the Jamaican 
it will be really hard to break in the hundred, especially. But you know, I think Aaliyah and Abby um, are kind of our best bets. Um, I one of my favorite my favorite moment actually from USA's was watching Melissa Jefferson make the team. I'm from Coastal Carolina, mm-hmm. and I got a video of her friend jumping and cheering and hooting and hollering. So I have no idea what Melissa Jefferson can do. I should know better. But I know I feel like she's been surprising herself all year. Like I just was watching her indoors, and every it seems like after um, some of those wins, she was just like hand over her mouth, like "What did I just do? Like, did I just win? Like NCAA's? Did I just run this crazy time? Like, so it's been exciting." I saw her. She. Um, that guy raised take had on Twitter and she sent him a DM that was like, watch what I do in outdoor. And then he like had the receipt and she's like, I guess she proved me wrong. Cause I didn't cover her at all. The sprints. <laughs> and she like proved me wrong. I love it when people shoot their shot. I yeah. think it's the coolest thing. I would never have the confidence to do that, but the athletes that can good on you. Yes. Yes. All right. So your last world championship in 2019 was in Doha, the air conditioned stadium in October, kind of a strange experience. Mm-hmm. of being in Doha. I know that London ranks the top. Um, the 10K, I feel like after Rio, really took a turn for the fast, <laughs> for a better word. And, um, you know, with Ahmed's Ayana and things like that, just got an extreme, become an extremely fast race. So what was um, Doha like as, you know, bring us back to the last time we were at the world championships, because I feel like a lot of people kind of forget what this is about. It's like the Olympics minus all the other sports. Yes. Yeah. Competition is just as good um, at the world championships. You know, as a track athlete, you're like pretty much the same meat. (laughs) Just, it's just us this time. Um, I, it feels like so long ago. Um, we had to totally kind of change our year. I remember come, I was coming off of a spring marathon, I think, and that's why I was even able to do it. Uh, I think that year, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, you ran the you ran the twenty nineteen London, London marathon. Yeah, yeah, and so Emily and I were like, oh, we could turn around and try and you know we didn't expect to be doing another world. We thought we were done with the track, both of us, and we were kind of like, we could actually fit this in, and um, you know we're strong from the we're strong from the marathon training, so. Um, that was, I was coming at that from a different perspective. I definitely felt a lot more beat up <laughs> doing that one, that kind of a turn marathon to track turnaround for like the third time. I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing that. Um, and it was a crazy place to try and run. I mean, I remember, um, f- the best feeling run was my actual race, but every other run and practice, like work, every workout we did, every practice we went to, it was just like the most humid, like vomit you went outside feeling yeah outside yeah so we were drenched I remember we did this workout at the practice track which I think is where they have the diamond league meet the diamond league Mm -hmm. meet is not in the air-conditioned stadium um and everybody was I had like a two-mile tempo and like a couple like three eight hundreds or something as my workout before the race and I was just like drenched like wringing out my clothes um so it was it was a hard place to try and train um Luckily, we weren't doing much at that point, but yeah. I think I'm pretty sure that's what Tokyo was like because mm-hmm. the girls were telling me they're like, "Yeah, you were an hour away on a bus, but your clothes got completely soaked through. So if you didn't bring a change of clothes, you'd be extremely upset." Yeah, watching that, I was like, "Oh, I know. Like, I'm sure it was similar. Just it really to run a fast time in that weather, like, take off like a lot. Like it it adds a lot of time to the distance races." So. 
to wrap this up, our little preview of the world championships. Um, uh, yeah, I guess overall, like, what are you, it's coming up on Friday. This will be out by then. Like overall, what are you the most excited for? Is it just that it's 10 days of track and field and you get to put your feet up and hang out and watch track and that's it? Or is it, um, you know, one specific race that stands out? Hmm. I just, I want to see how this plays out like on U.S. soil. It's been a long time since we've had, I mean, is it, is it Atlanta 1996? The last time we had like a major like IAAF event or World Athletics event in the U.S. Um, so I just want to see what the fandom is like, what kind of press coverage does it, are we going to get more press from the world championships here? Um, like what is, what is the support going to look like? Um, probably my, I don't know. I'm, I'm super excited about the 800. That's still mm-hmm. like the event that I'm like really going to be excited to watch, but everything I'll be watching, like, like prepare to get nothing done those 10 days. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that it's coming at a really good time of the year for coverage because there aren't other sports happening. So it's actually happening. I think I saw a stupid meme that was about like this is the one time of the year there's no football and you know, basketball's done, hockey's done. We're really just competing against baseball and they have a lot of games. So this is our chance. This is our chance for people to stumble onto the world championships on TV and be like, hey, like track is cool and Mm -hmm. I'm a track fan now um and like maybe it'll I don't know yeah maybe this will start something I think that's you know what they the decision to be in Eugene is definitely very interesting controversial I think a lot of the internationals are a little confused we've known about this for so long but there's still like a confusion of like wait it's not a city and I feel like that's (laughs) been a funny narrative sub-narrative for me of uh people kind of like everyone knows what Eugene is. Like it's not trying to be something it's not. Um, so I'm just kind of excited to see how like these big stars handle being in like a college town. So I think that's kind of a fun social experiment. And I desperately wish there was like an F1 covering the meat of like the women's 800, the women's 200 and some other things. And I wish there was like a documentary crew that could make something really, really high end and pop it on Netflix right after this. That would be that would be amazing. Amazing. I mean, I think track is just starving for like a cool Netflix documentary to show people what they're missing. I think they just need to follow the right story or any story. Just you follow them close enough and people will get sucked in. So, yeah, that'd be cool. But yeah, that'll be funny. Eugene's going to be like like the amount like if you just set up a little table in Whole Foods, you'll see like every track star in the world walk through there probably looking for their pre-race snack. It's like There's not, not that a lot many of vegetables options. in Eugene. <laughs> not a lot of options. I mean, that's it's a smallish town, so everyone's going to be in the same places. Well, we we didn't cover and what some people might say would be your next step would be the the women's marathons. That's where we're going to end oh, yes. on is no. the women's marathon. We can't leave. Yes, that that actually is probably the equal to the 800, the event I'm excited about. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Why is that? Well, because like very sad to see Molly Seidel have to step down with injuries. But like how I guess the question is, how is Kira D'Amato going to handle an 18 day marathon buildup? I was thinking that I was like, what if someone called me? And I, they were like, you're going to do the world champs in 18 days or it's roughly that amount of time. And like, you're fit, but you're like, what do you do? What would my training look like? Like, what would I do to prepare for that? So I think that's going to be super interesting. I think she's going to run way better than people think. Like people are going to write her, write her off because she hasn't done a buildup. But like, if you're really fit for 10K stuff, 
like you can run a good marathon. Um, mm-hmm. And then like Sarah Hall running her first world championship, um, seeing what the course is that they're going to use in Eugene. Like that's going to be kind of a surreal moment, like just loops and loops of like Loops Eugene. and loops of flat, flat, yeah. flat, flat. So yeah, the marathon's going to be super interesting. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that exact question of how you would have handled getting that call. And I had Kira D'Amato on my podcast back in December, and this was before she set the American record. And I had asked her if she had made, if she had ever made a team. And she said that she had made the world half marathon championship, but it was canceled due to COVID. And she was extremely upset because she really wanted to like get the gear and like do the whole thing. And it was her first, you know, experience and it was kind of taken away. So I think she's, I think that rookie excitement, it's it's hard to call Kira a rookie. It's very interesting <laughs> because, uh, you know, she's not straight out of college, but I, I do think she has like a fun rookie mentality when it comes to like saying yes to things and not being nervous about it. And, you know, I'm sure she would have rather run over a hundred miles a week than probably like the 75 she's been running now. Mm-hmm. But if anyone can do it, I'm pretty sure like Kira's doing 18 mile long runs all year round anyways. So it's probably not um, what she's used to, but I feel like she's a pretty resilient, like higher mileage athlete anyways, that that's like not the part I'm nervous for. Yeah. Like I, I feel like you, you can only just kind of get yourself feeling good between now and then. And she was fit to start with, which is like 90% of it. Like she was generally like, very fit, setting like, you know, winning really good road races. Yeah, you were at the BA 10K, weren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like she looked good there. That was probably the day she found out actually, or short the day before maybe. Um, You were there. You just get, get that fitness and drag it out as long as it'll go. I hope it makes it to 26 miles. (laughs) Yeah. We have the defending champion. um, I'm really not going to be able to. Ruth Chepton-Negich. I need to become better at pronunciation. Um, she's the defending champ. She's coming back. So that one, I'm extremely excited to see how she does. Um, the marathon is just such a toss up too, because it's a very small field. So this is what I always noticed during the Olympics is that the Olympic field for the marathon is so tiny that I feel like, you know, if you're running these world marathon majors, you're not as like you're, you have men to pace off of, you have the crowds to key off of. I'm not sure if there's going to be, there's probably going to be very empty spots. There's not a very big crowd. So I think it'll kind of have some time trial energy in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it could be a weirdly fast race because of that, of just getting locked in in the flat pace um, with a smaller field. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot's going to depend on the weather. Like if they hit kind of one of those hot days, but um it sounds like the Eugene course is, as you said, pretty flat. Um, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, who shows up to support. Like, is it going to just be local Eugene residents? Kind of like, what's going on over here at this road? Or are other people going to be, like, pouring in from the track to come watch? That'll be super interesting. But um, I get in right after, so I'm so upset. Oh, no, you missed the marathon. I missed the, both marathons. Why did they have to put them on the first weekend? The World Champs Marathon, I feel like, is always a little less competitive than the Olympic Marathon. For some mm-hmm. reason, it seems like people go for the majors, and they don't want to skip a major to run Worlds, which is, like, weird, but probably financial. <laughs> and yeah. that will, I think, increase the medal chances, too, um, for Team USA. So, Or, or for anyone looking to, like, 
have a big we're, moment. This is a biased podcast. I know. I'm like trying <laughs> to be like non-US focused, but I'm like, really? That's who I'm looking at because they're my you friends know. and that's who I like look keep up with in the results. I'm sorry to <laughs> anyone who's non-American listening to this podcast. I'm, there's not very many of you, but if you are, you know, call call me out. You can I can blame <laughs> it on myself. The last person I just want to mention is Emma Bates, who, you know, ran really well at Chicago and hasn't been racing as much. So mm-hmm. I think Emma will be um, an interesting person to see. I think she's really had this on the calendar for a super long time. Um, Joe Boschard's had an extremely successful you know, season with his athletes. I think there's a great energy within that training group. Um, she'll have teammates there with Emma Coburn as well, Dom Scott doing the 10K for South Africa. So I think that Emma Bates could have a pretty successful world championship um, half as well, because just because she's had it consistent training and had this on the calendar for a really long time, I think that helps you a lot when you have it. She's like the exact opposite of Kira. Yeah. Yeah. She's had a lot of time to get ready and she hasn't raced a ton and she's been kind of quiet. So you never know if it's like, okay, maybe she was dealing with a few setbacks, but like maybe she also was just planning to do, you know, a really long buildup or planning to just really focus on this. And so if any small risk came up, she would just say, no, focusing on worlds, like that's the most important thing. Um, So that'll be, yeah, that'll be a really, we have a good team on the marathon. So it's going to be really exciting to cheer for those ladies. Yeah, Chepnegich, she has a season, I guess season's best. I think this is like a year's best of 217. And then um, we have two Ethiopian women, women as well, Burkaya and Geber Lasse. And then um, Tanui from, from Kenya as well. And then Kira comes in with about like the sixth fastest time in the field from her um, American record. So mm-hmm. Kira's time is definitely up there. I don't know the difference in training between her 10K and her American <laughs> record shape. But I don't know, just I think that'll actually be great for media as well. It's such an easy story to tell, and I'm sure she'll bring her whole family um, and hopefully Team USA set her up well with such short notice. Yes, definitely. Well, Molly, thank you so much for, you know, letting me have a tour through your world championships and just like getting me excited about watching the women's side of things. I think you know, this podcast, I only interview women. So when you messaged me back and said, oh, I don't really know about the men. I was like, no, it's okay. This yes. is the side of things that I want to cover anyways. Yes. No, I definitely, obviously I, I like watch the men. Cause it's like, you know, the, I love the track and field happens together. I think it's great for the sport that the men and the women compete together. So you have like probably better parody than you do in a lot of other like women's sports, um, that get kind of sidelined, but I have like, my own women's sports podcast and I'm just tuned mm-hmm. into all yeah, my keeping track everyone yeah, has to listen so to that like, it's a great podcast I just feel like those results are like very much first in my in my brain um so I get very excited talking about the ladies yeah and you also have your book that came out this year um yes. how she did it so we have to plug that Yes, and a lot of the women on the world championship team now are in the book giving advice. Um, and we have some mother-daughter combos. So that's cool that like Ailish McColgan will be at the world championships and her mom is coaching her and they talk in the book. And um, we have um, Joetta and all that we have Joetta and Hazel Clark in the book. Joetta's daughter is going to the world championships. And so there's some interesting historical through lines. So yeah, check it out. And it'll be a good companion as you're like watching the meet. You can like see what these women had to say. You'll have to do on your social media, like, a, you know, here's the page in my book and here they are on the TV, like a little comparison of, you know, the it's inside scoop. 
Yes. Well, we'll uh, have to do like a book club or something. <laughs> oh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Thanks so much, Molly, for coming on. I'm sure we'll be, you know, tweeting at each other all week and um, can't wait to see when you get back out there. Um, I know that um, we're all excited for your next race as well. Yes, me too. But this will be really motivating. So yeah, can't wait to watch. I'll be track nerding it up with everybody else. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. More Than Running is brought to you by Hayward Magic, the Instagram home for the true track and field diehards, dreamers, and fans. Sharing the magic of the sport and elevating the athletes that push it forward. Hayward Magic to me is those moments when you're in Hayward Field or any other track and you get the smell of the track and it's just transports you to a place of finding that flow state, watching a world record, or just finding some everyday inspiration. Check out Hayward Magic on Instagram, and maybe you too yourself can get featured if you tag Hayward Magic in your own special magical running moment. That wraps up this episode of More Than Running with Dana. More Than Running is hosted on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network and is edited and produced by Meg Zerzolo. If you enjoyed this episode, Share it with a friend or leave me a rating on Apple's podcast or Spotify. I read every review and I love all the guest suggestions that you guys share with me. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of More Than Running. If you want to keep connecting with me, you can find me at, at Dana underscore GIO on Instagram and Twitter and at Dana underscore Giordano, my last name, on TikTok. You can also follow along at the at More Than Running Instagram for some behind the scenes fun content. Thanks again for listening to More Than Running with Dana, and I'll see you next time.